Now, I do have something in my heart to share this morning, and I said at the beginning of the, of the service that you may hear things this morning that will challenge you and stretch you, and that's a good thing, you know, it's nothing to be afraid of, because I really believe that when you hear what God is really saying, it should blow your mind. Do you agree with that? It should blow your mind. Um, religion is respectable and reasonable and rational. Nobody in the world is surprised by a message that says, if you behave yourself, God will bless you. Because every religion says that. Praise God. What's shocking about the gospel, really, is how much we have already been blessed before we did one thing. Before we did one thing. So open your Bibles at John chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to read to you a little bit about a man called Nathaniel. Now, we, we read this a couple of weeks ago, and I was really blessed by that thought about Jesus knowing Nathaniel. And... Uh, if you haven't got your Bibles, don't worry, because I'm going to read this out to you. This is John chapter 1 and verse 43. I said this morning that religion always asks, what are you doing? What are you doing? But the gospel asks a different question, is what are you believing? What are you believing? And so here we see from John chapter 1 from verse 33, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. I love it sometimes if you're in church, you know, and you have that feeling, can anything good come from my life? Well, I know all these other people, they're all really holy, aren't they? But what about me? Can anything good come from me? The Lord asks, he loves you asking that question. He says, you're going to be surprised. Because I delight to take the things that are not. Praise God. So anyway, can anything come from there? Come and see, said Philip. What a lovely response. Is that not our response to the world? We can't convince people intellectually with an argument, but we can say, come and see. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, hear Truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And during the week I was wondering about this question. How on earth could Nathanael say that 10 seconds after meeting Jesus? I know other people had seen great miracles They'd seen maybe Jesus walk on water or seen, and they'd say, oh, you must be the son of God. How can Nathaniel say that by one sentence that Jesus has said? He can only say that if he believes that by what Jesus has just said, that God has seen him under the tree, that Jesus must be God, because only God knew what Nathaniel was like under that tree. Has anybody ever seen the episode of The Chosen? that uh, depicts Nathaniel. I love it because I think it's very close to what I always thought Nathaniel was doing under the tree. When Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, what do you think Nathaniel was doing? I think he must have been having a dialogue with God. I think he must have been crying out to God. That's the way it's portrayed in The Chosen. He's really desperate. He's saying, God, don't you see me? I remember years ago, hearing a story about a little old lady. Forgive me if I've told this before. I love this story. This lady was in her late 80s, and she was in a meeting in America, and a man 
had a gift of prophecy and he had a word for that little old lady. And he called her forward and he said, Lord, I can't say this. This sounds stupid. So stupid. I can't say this. But the Lord said, no, say it. So I said, okay. The Lord wants to say to you, he saw you when you were plucking the duck. And this little lady looked at him and she was just totally blank. And he thought, oh, no, I've really blown it now. That's, you know. The Lord says, I saw you when you were plucking the duck. And again, there's just a blank look. And then suddenly the lady's face just changed and she began to weep and laugh and jump and, and nobody could get her calmed down. And eventually they got her stopped and they said, what's the matter? What does that mean? Why does that mean so much to you? And she told him the story that when she was eight or nine years of age, she was an orphan. And it was during the First World War in New York. All the orphans one day were marched out of the orphanage down to the dock in New York. And on the dock they found carcasses of rotten ducks and chickens that were lying in big heaps. And they were told that the troops, the American troops of the First World War, needed pillows in the trenches. And that the orphan's job was to pluck those birds and put the feathers in those pillows. And this little girl was plucking these feathers and it was freezing and she was hungry. And her, her hands were freezing up and she cried out in her heart, Lord, don't you see me? And 80 years later, the Lord says during a meeting, I saw you when you were plucking the duck. You see, that's how Nathaniel is hearing this. That's why he says, oh my God, you are the son of God, you know. And I want to tell you today that God sees you in a way that you don't even realize. He knows you better than you know yourself. And I'm going to show you from Scripture how powerful it is to realize that you are known. And that God has seen you from even before the foundation of the world. And we're going to see that today. So you could say that in meeting Jesus for the first time, Nathaniel was actually meeting himself for the first time. He was realizing that there was a view of him, that God knew him, that somebody knew him even better than he knew himself. And only an encounter with Jesus reveals that to men and women, their true worth to God. Because who you are to God is who you are. I'll say that again. It's the title of this message. Who you are to God is who you are. So if you really want to be the person whom God has called you to be, you need to know who you are. You need to know and hear him telling you who you are. And that's why we have this beautiful gospel. Because through this message, you're going to hear God declare to you who you are. Praise God. You know, for many years, I guess for me and for you, we let our history name us and circumstances name us. But no matter what circumstance you're going through right now, and many people in the world are going through a horrible season right now, that season does not name you. You must not let that season name you. And when you hear the name that God has for you, it would lift you out of the season you're in, whether it be a great season or a rotten season. And it lifts you out of that into hearing who you are in his eyes in every season. It's like little children. We don't change the name of children depending on how well they're doing, you know. I think I've said this to you before. If you met a young couple who just had a child and was six months of age and you called around with a little gift and you said, well, what have you called him? And they said, well, this week he's Johnny. What do you mean this week he's Johnny? Well, you know, last week he wasn't behaving himself very well, so we called him something else. And the week before that, we called, what are you doing? We're naming him after his behavior. You're naming him after his behavior. This is going to be some mixed up child, isn't it? You see, when you put your name in your child, you never change the name of that child. You never change how you accept them or who they are in your eyes, irrespective of their behavior. And to hear the gospel is to hear your eternal name in Christ. Praise God. Now, the name Nathaniel, you know what it actually means? 
The name Nathanael actually means given by God. So when Nathanael was hearing Jesus speak to him, he was coming into the revelation of who I'm given by God. My life is given by God. And what I want to show you this morning is every good gift is given by God. I'll say that again. Every good gift is given by God. Do you remember that scripture? James chapter 1. Let me read it to you. Every good gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So, if every good gift is given by God, I have a question for you this morning. Are you a good gift? (laughs) Come on. Are you a good gift? Are you given by God? Are you a good gift? You know, I'm going to say some things now, and your head may struggle to take this in, but your heart is going to jump. Your spirit will jump before your head. Because the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirits when something is true or not, okay? So even when a statement is made in your head saying, but I don't understand that, but, 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 your heart jumps, your spirit jumps. And so your heart, your spirit is going to jump at the gospel this morning. I believe I can say to every person here, you are a good gift. Now you might doubt that today with your life and you might maybe not believe you're a good gift. But if I could take you back to the day you were born and you being held in the arms of your mom and dad, and if I could show you their faces the day they held you, you would believe by looking at their faces that they absolutely believed that you were a good gift from God. They absolutely believe that. And there's many things may have happened in your life for you to question whether your life is a blessing or whether your life is a curse. But God has never changed his mind on your life and my life that we're given as a gift from God. Now, they can, they can think a baby is a gift from God, you know, because a baby is innocent, isn't it? Who doesn't look at a beautiful baby and go, ah? We've all seen that effect even on a very tough guy. Very tough guy can come in, you know. You bring a little baby and it's, oh, everybody, you know. We've said this before. If somebody walked in the, to this morning with a baby that's only a week old, every person in this church would want to speak to that baby. <laughs> you know, we all love a baby. Why is that? What is it about a baby that draws that out of us, you know? Um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but there is i heard a story really recently last week somebody was telling me about that vet that's on the television called noel fitzpatrick is that his name the super vet has anybody seen that program and he was being interviewed uh, i think an rte about his life and he was talking in strange terms about love he was talking about love why he loved he talked about a little dog that he had that died this dog died and it broke his heart and he said i'll tell you about the dog the dog give me unconditional love That dog loved me so much. And something about the love of that dog, the unconditional nature of it, touched me. And he gave a funny example. He said, you know what? I could have locked that dog in the boot of my car for three days. And when I opened the boot, that dog would have jumped out, wagging his tail, jumping up on me, licking my face. He said, if I locked my wife in the boot of the car for three days, she'd she'd kill me. (laughs) Unconditional love. So there's something about a baby, you see. We all believe a baby is a gift from above. But why don't we believe that about ourselves? Here's God's solution to give us medicine for our eyes, to see ourselves as he sees us. Only a gospel that restores your innocence restores your heavenly vision. Only a gospel that restores your innocence restores your heavenly vision. 
For to see yourself as God sees you is to see that all he has was given to you in Christ, including his innocence. All he has was given to you in Christ. For if he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All things includes innocence. You see, I'm going to tell you this morning that God sees you in Christ as innocent. And when you begin to see yourself as innocent, you'll begin again to be a child. You'll begin to live as a child. And living that way, people will look at you and say, my God, there's children of God. See, children have an innocence about them that manifests as such a beautiful thing in your life. A lack of self-consciousness, a confidence, a joy, a love, a living in the day you're in. That's innocence. That's innocence. And people desire to see innocence. We love to see a baby. We walked through the foyer side yesterday, and a couple of people recognized I was wearing a mask, but people recognized me by my voice. <laughs> I said, hey, it's Phelan. You know, I go, who's that? Who's that? It's so funny, you know. But if a little baby went through the foyer side, everybody wants to see that child. Everybody's attracted by innocence. You know what? The church of Jesus Christ is going to be so attractive to the world when we manifest our innocence in him, when we live as those innocent before God without that self-consciousness that guilt brings. If you will let this gospel grow you in the revelation of your innocence before God, then more and more you will find yourself walking as the person God always called you to be, a child of God. I'll say that again. If you let this gospel grow you in the revelation of your innocence before God, then you will find yourself more and more walking as the person God always saw you to be, a child of God. Now, it's easy to see innocent children as a gift from above, but the more you see what Christ accomplished for you on the cross, innocence before God, the more you will live your life as a gift from above. You might not see yourself that way yet, but your Father in heaven sees you as a gift from above. And this morning, we're going to see that, that who you are to him is who you really are. Who you are to him is who you really are. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convince us of who we are, not who we could be. That's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they were steeped in sin. If you, if you look at those letters, the things they were doing, getting drunk and sleeping around, he didn't say to them, you need to become somebody different. He said, you need to remember who you are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So the Holy Spirit comes to declare to us who we are. So if I'm preaching the gospel to you, I need to declare to you by the power of the Spirit who you are. Because religion will tell you who you could be if you, and that throws you back on yourself. And in case you haven't noticed, you can't change you. That's why the gospel is good news. It doesn't leave you looking to yourself. Praise God. And so to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to declare. So often in Scripture we see a little phrase. We read it on Wednesday night as we went through the book of Acts where Peter saw the, the cripple at the gate beautiful. It says, fixing his eyes on him. Do you remember that phrase? Peter and John fixed their eyes on the cripple and said, get up. Get up. And the man stood up. That little phrase, fixing his eyes, means you're speaking by the Spirit. You're seeing somebody in the Spirit, and you're declaring to them who they are in the Spirit. Jesus did that. Paul did that. To the sorcerer in Acts 13, fixing his eyes on him, he says, I see what's behind you. I see what's behind you. To see in the Spirit. Now, to preach the gospel is to fix your eyes on people by the Spirit and tell them who they are by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this morning. That's exactly why we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So you are a gift from God. Maybe you better turn around and say to the person beside you, 
You are a gift from God. Go on, have a go. Ah, that was easy. Try something harder. Yeah, come on, try something harder. Now turn around and say, I'm a gift from God. Ah, come on. <laughs> That's a little bit harder, isn't it? Now, not everyone who knows us, of course, has a good report on us, do they? Not everyone who knows us has a good report on us. But the gospel gives us a challenge. The gospel says, whose report are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? Man's report or God's report? Jesus Christ is God's report on you. Jesus Christ is God's report on you. Can anybody remember getting a report from school when they were young? Stick your hand up. Oh, oh, dear, dear, dear. I remember. I used to dread getting a school report. I used to dread it because I was convinced that I was about to be exposed. <laughs> and my parents would read this report and they'd think, Oh my goodness, that's who he is. We never knew. You know, somehow they'd read that report and they'd change their opinion on me. And, and, and I would have to change my opinion on me. I thought like that when I was a child. I don't think like that now that I'm a parent. A child thinks like that. A parent does not take the word of the teacher as the last word on their child. I remember Nicola getting a report of one of our children from school that said they didn't think they'd come up to a certain standard. We think that this standard, Nicola was, that is rubbish. That's rubbish. And she would, didn't she told them, you know, I think, get on, you Nicola. You see, a mother or a father aren't going to take that because I know my child. And I want to tell you this morning, your father in heaven has the last word on you. He's the one. And he's declared Jesus Christ is his report on you. And if you look to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done, and him as the measure of how much you're loved and what you're worth to the Father, you're reading the Father's report on you. And that's why we are called to believe in Jesus Christ. Because to believe in Christ is to believe in the Father's report on you is beautiful. Whatever this world says about you, no matter how many times you're beaten down by the world, so that you begin to see yourself as worthless or useless or as far from innocent as is possible to get. Your Father in heaven refuses to believe the world's report on you and wants you and I not to believe it either, but to believe his report on us, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I need to show you that from Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 4, verse 25. We're going to read a beautiful, powerful verse. But it's read differently depending on what translation you have. If, for instance, you have the NIV this morning, it'll say this, Romans 4, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. But actually, that's not exactly what the Greek says. And if you have the New King James, it'll say it slightly different. It'll say this, speaking of Jesus, Romans 4, 25 says this, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. In other words, he was raised up not for our justification, but because of our justification. And if you look at the original Young's literal Greek translation, it says this, He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our being declared righteous. Christ's resurrection is God's report on your innocence. Somebody say amen. amen. Christ's resurrection is God's report on your innocence. Now, what you do with that report is up to you, but that's his report. That's his report. 
He was raised up because of your being declared righteous, you see. And Christ is so inextricably linked with us that if we had not been declared righteous, he could not have been raised up. That's what that's saying. Now, you and I have before us today two reports for us to believe. Man's report based on our earthly record or God's report based on Christ's record. And the life you and I are living today reveals which report we are actually believing. For as a man thinks, so he is. So the more we start to believe what the Apostle Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that in Christ we have been reconciled to God, that he is no longer counting our sins against us, that he sees us as innocent in Christ, then the more we find ourselves living in the peace of God, because we have been reconciled to God. And that's what the word peace means. Ereni, it means to be set at one. The more you will believe that Christ's resurrection was God's report on you. You are innocent before God because of Christ Jesus. The more you will live as an innocent child. The more you will live in the joy and the peace and the gentleness and the faithfulness and all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit which grows in your life. The more you believe this. And I know it's a journey in believing it because you have not heard this in the world You will never hear this in the world. Why? Because the world can only see you after the natural. They can only name you according to your record. Oh, I know Ribu. I know him. I know his wife. I know his children. I know what he's done. I know what he's not done. That's how the world sees you. Christ does not see you that way. The Holy Spirit is not given that we would see people that way. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, From now on, we see no man after the flesh, but by the Spirit. There was a time when we saw Christ after the flesh no longer. That's why we're given the Holy Spirit, that we'd see differently, that we would speak differently. Because when somebody is speaking by the Spirit, you cannot be the same. Because the Holy Spirit comes to convince us of who you are, that you are the children of God. Praise God. So we're talking this morning about the way God sees you. And I'm saying that who you are to God is who you are. But for you and I to live as who he sees us to be, then we need to believe his report on us. Jesus Christ is his, the Father's report on us. His resurrection was a declaration of our justification, our innocence before God. Now, what happens if you don't believe that? What happens if you don't receive Jesus Christ as God's report on us? Answer, we'll believe somebody else's. You can't help it. You see, you're built to believe. In one sense, there's no such thing as a non-believer. Everybody believes. Not everybody believes the truth, but everybody believes something. Every person here has been breathing since they came into this room. But you haven't noticed yourself breathing. You can't help breathing. You'd be dead if you weren't breathing. Believing's the same. You were built to believe. You are believing. Every person in Ivory Street, top of the hill this morning, is believing. Might not be believing the truth, but they're believing something. The Bible says many of them are believing a lie. They've been blinded, as it were, by the the king of lies, the father of lies. You see, you're built to believe. You're already built that way. So when you hear the truth, you have the capacity to believe the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we don't believe what God's report is, we'll believe some other report. And many people see us in different ways. Now, some of you may know me as Phelan the pastor, but there's many people who know me as Phelan the vet. They don't know me as Phelan the pastor. I remember one day I was standing in the street and a woman ran up to me. She recognized me as her vet and she began to talk to me and ask me questions about her dog. And she could see that I was very hesitant to answer her questions. So she took a step back and then she suddenly thought, What's my vet doing carrying a Bible, following a coffin, being followed by 50 people? (laughs) It was my first funeral. 
I was doing it down at Brigade. And, and, and I was behind the coffin carrying my Bible. And this woman just saw me and came straight towards me. And started asking me questions about her vets, uh, about her dog, you know. And I'm walking along trying to answer her questions going there. And, you know, as it was my first funeral, I didn't really feel very much like a, like a minister yet. And this lady wasn't helping at all. <laughs> she saw me in a totally different way, praise God. And that's what will happen. If you don't believe God's report on you, you will believe people's report. You will see yourself as people see you. I remember Tony Campalo preaching a wonderful message years ago called It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And in that, he mentioned the principle of sociology, because I think he was a sociologist. He said, it's called the looking glass principle. Every person believes what the five people most dear to them believe about them. I'll say that again. What you believe about yourself is very much based on what the people who are most precious to you believe about you. So if everybody who's precious to you believes you're stupid, guess what you believe? Very powerful. You see, you're built to believe. So I challenge you this morning. What are you believing? Are you believing men's report on you? Or are you believing God's report? Now, it's true that I'm a vet and I'm a pastor. But, you know, none of my children see me as Phelan the vet or Phelan the pastor. Now, those are two other views. But there's another view. If I had to ask you, well, who knows me best then? You might say Nicola. She knows him best. So Nicola's view on Phelan must be the most accurate view. But there's two other views I haven't even mentioned yet. What about my view on me? I mean, Nicola knows what Phelan says and does, but does she know what Phelan thinks and believes? I know what Phelan thinks and believes, so surely I know myself better. If there's anybody who's qualified to say who I am, surely it's me, isn't it? But what if I was to tell you this morning that there's somebody who knows me better than I know me? What if I was to tell you there's somebody who knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb? What would you say then about who knows you, about who's got the truest report? Okay, let's close by having a look at this. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Because I'm saying to you this morning, you are who you are to God. Who you are to God is who you are. So I don't care how convinced you are of what you're like or who you are. The Holy Spirit will absolutely transform you by going to the root of your life. What you are believing about God. What you are believing about yourself. And here in Jeremiah chapter 1, we see this beautiful passage where Jeremiah is spoken to by the Lord. Listen to these words. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now look at verse 5 where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That Hebrew word translated knew can also mean I saw you, I recognized you, I declared you to be. Isn't that beautiful? And in the next verse it says something even more astonishing. Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. Now that Hebrew word, kadash, you'll see it written if you have the authorized version. It'll say there, I sanctified you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. How can he say that? The Hebrew word there means, I pronounced you clean. I sanctified you. I consecrated you. I dedicated you. I purified you. I appointed you. Before you were born, I set you apart unto myself. I made you for myself. 
You are mine and I am yours. You know, when I read that and when I was preparing this message, you know, I tried to write down what I felt the Lord was saying to Jeremiah. And what God was in effect saying to him was, I never had a vision of you as living apart from me. I see you going everywhere with me and speaking my words. And when you see yourself as I see you, when you see that I am always with you, then you will not be afraid as the men in this world are afraid, because they see themselves as alone. But you must never see yourself that way. For you are mine, and I am yours. That's what the Lord was saying to Jeremiah. You know, and after writing that, the next thing I wrote was, imagine hearing God say that to you. Imagine hearing God say that to you. And as soon as I wrote those words, I had a massive check in my spirit, and I felt the Holy Spirit went, no, 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 I don't want you to say that. <laughs> So what's wrong with saying that? Imagine hearing God saying that to you. I felt that the Holy Spirit was disappointed with that statement. I felt it fell way short of what he wanted to say. I felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I don't want them to imagine me saying that to them. I want them to hear me saying that to them. It was like a gentle rebuke. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, Phelan, I didn't call you and fill you with my Holy Spirit so that you can ask people to imagine what I'm saying. I give you my spirit so you can speak my very words, that they may hear my words and live, because my words are life to all their flesh. And so if you can say that to me, I can say that to you. If you have the Holy Spirit here this morning, you were not given the Holy Spirit so you could ask people to imagine a God who forgives their sins, but so that you could declare to people the very words of God, that you could be, that you could fix your eyes on them, and in the power of the Spirit, tell them, you have been forgiven. The resurrection is the manifestation of your innocence before God, that in the power of the Spirit, they would find in your words power, power to believe, power to believe in that moment. Isn't that beautiful? But how am I to say that to them when I had not even received it myself? For myself. God's word tells us that people are held in darkness. They've been blinded to the truth by the father of lies. And perhaps the greatest lie that blinds people and binds people in this world is the lie that Adam first believed. The lie that God has withheld himself from me. He doesn't want to give himself to me. He doesn't see me as worth giving himself to. And people who are held captive by that belief, who are blinded by that lie, they need more than to hear from you and I about God. They need to hear God. I don't need to hear Nicola talk to me about love. I need to hear her say, I love you. Your son was in hospital this week, Paul, wasn't he? He didn't need a text message saying, I love you, son. <laughs> you knew as a parent, you want to be there. You want to look him in the eye and speak to him personally. If your child is in hospital, are you happy with a little message saying, I love you? Or do you want to presence yourself with them? Look them in the eye and speak to them. Father in heaven wants no difference. And that's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. There are people here today, and there's those listening to this message, and spiritually speaking, your soul is seriously ill from lies that you have believed about God and yourself. And you may be out and about and be looking as healthy as anyone else, but in your soul, that is in your mind, your will and your emotions, you're crippled by the lie that God somehow stood back from you and hasn't been there for you. And your soul needs more than to hear a nice message that God loves you and he's thinking about you. You need to hear him speak to you. 
You need to hear him show up and speak to you directly. You need to hear him tell you who you are because who you are to him is who you are. And we're surrounded every day by people like that. Really, they look very healthy, but spiritually, they're crippled by the lies they have believed. And we've all been given God's spirit that we can tell them not that one day God might speak to them, but that we might be so filled with the love of God, which is the Spirit, that we can look at people and love and speak to them the very words that God is speaking to them in that moment. This is what it means to be in communion with the body of Christ, being in communion with the Spirit of Christ. We can prophesy into people's lives. We can give them through our words the testimony of Jesus on their lives. For surely the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. This is why we've been given the Holy Spirit. That we would not simply talk to people about God, but that we would be the very voice of God. As you are to your children, the very voice of God. Because you know as a parent, for a young child, your words form them. Why? Because children believe. Praise God. Can you see then? The urgent necessity for the church to believe the gospel, to believe Jesus Christ as God's report on our innocence. For how are we to prophesy to people who they are in God's eyes? How are we to be the testimony of Jesus to them when we have barely believed his testimony about us? Or as the writer of the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 5, many of us should be teachers by now, but we choke on this solid food of the gospel. We can still only handle milk because we're unskilled in the teaching about righteousness, the teaching about our innocence before God. The body of Christ has been given the very Spirit of God that we may speak to people as Christ spoke to them. We're given the Holy Spirit not so we can impress people with our knowledge about God, but so we can speak the very words of God. You know, one day a crippled man was lowered through a roof to Jesus. You remember his story well. (laughs) And as he lay there, Jesus looked at him and he didn't say to him, let me tell you about a God who can forgive sins. What did he say to him? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and live a totally different life. Same when he entered the house of Simon the Pharisee, a woman came in that day who was noted in Scripture as a great sinner. Do you remember she wept over Jesus? She washed his, his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And the, Simon the Pharisee was disgusted. He said, this man calls himself a prophet. If he knew this woman, he wouldn't let her touch him. What did Jesus say to that woman? (laughs) Luke 7, 48. Doesn't record her telling her, let me tell you about a God who can forgive sin if you get your life cleaned up. He looked at her and he said, woman, your sins have been forgiven you. And in both cases, religious leaders there said he was blaspheming for only God could say that. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say because I'm going to finish with this. The reason so many people in this nation lie crippled by the lies of the world and man-made religions of this world is that so often the body of Christ, the church, has been saying to them, let me tell you about a God who can forgive sins, instead of looking directly at them in the power of the Spirit and declaring, your sins have been forgiven. Now get up and leave your old life behind. That's what this generation is waiting for. The declaration of the gospel in power. The power to change what you're actually believing. The very root of your life. For what a man believes is what he is. Guard what you believe above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 What you see out there in people's lives and all the sinning that goes on, that's just the branches of a tree, the root of which is what they have believed. Unbelief 
is the root of every branch of anything in this world that manifests as not of faith, which is sin. Praise God. And if you take that definition of sin, my goodness, church, we need to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel. Praise God. And we are believing the gospel. I can look at people right now. I know people are believing this. I can see the change in your lives. I can see freedom coming. I can see innocence manifesting as a lack of self-consciousness, a patience, a joy, a peace, a lack of religiosity. That's a big one. Praise God. Let me finish by saying this. Jesus Christ is God's report on us. His resurrection is a declaration of our innocence, our justification. Who we are to God is who we are. And our generation needs to hear this. For true repentance does not start with a change of action. It starts with a change of belief, a change of heart. They need to see a people in their midst who have believed and been transformed by the gospel. They need to see a people in their midst who are living as innocent before God. A people who have no need of religious fig leaves. You see, the more we're rooted and grounded in the life of Christ, our innocence before God, the less religious we should become. Not the more religious, the less religious. See, religion is defined as self-effort. Self-effort. The more we grow in this beautiful revelation of who God ceases to be, the less effort is required on our part. You're transformed by the power of his life in you. If we let this gospel grow us in the revelation of our innocence before God, then more and more we will find ourselves walking as the people always walked, as God always wanted us to walk, as he always wanted us to be, children of God. And like children, we will find ourselves living in the joy and the lack of self-consciousness and the confidence that only the innocent live in. That's always been God's intention. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you must become as little children to enter into the things of the kingdom. Praise God. We all love Christmas. Why? Because we love the look on the faces of the innocent. That's why we're going to put decorations this week, you know. We love to see them astonished. Why? Because something in our hearts wants to be astonished. We know that we were never more alive than we were astonished as children when we were innocent. And something in our hearts yearns for that innocence. Isn't that the way people hate themselves? Because they feel they've lost their innocence. In Christ, your innocence is restored. And you and I can grow in that innocence if we will see each other after the Spirit and speak to each other as innocent. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to people out there as God gives us license and declare to them the same thing. I can't be declared in the Spirit. I can't be declared with a good message. That has to be done in the power of the Spirit. That has to be done in love. We actually actually love people to say that to them. Praise God. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now in our lives. He's setting us free from religion. I know you're growing in Christ because you're becoming less and less religious. Michelle Clark. Robert Walker. Angela Walkup, I'll name you. What is the world does? It names you and shames you. Christ doesn't do that. Old Testament prophets call you out. New Testament prophets call you up. Upwards in Christ. And that brings us to this table. Okay, this is our table of innocence. If you have your emblems, take them out. We're going to finish by eating this morning.